This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist. I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years, and I started Self Work around five and a half years ago, gosh, almost six, because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues. Maybe, in fact, you're already in therapy and enjoying it or learning from it but also to the group of you who might have just been diagnosed or had a loved one diagnosed with a mental illness and you're looking for answers, but also to a third group, those of you who might turn to your friends and say, oh, I think those therapists are kind of weird people, and therapy, my gosh, I'd never go, but you're curious enough or, sadly, unhappy enough to listen in to self-work. This isn't therapy, but at least you can hear how a therapist talks, thinks, and what kinds of suggestions one might make. So welcome to Self Work. I, like many people, started watching Bridgerton on Apple TV during the pandemic. I guess I didn't just watch it. I binge-watched it. The hit show produced by Shonda Rhimes hit live streaming in 2020, and it truly might have been the most seductive romance I've viewed in quite a long time. I didn't watch the infamous Fifty Shades of Grey back in 2015. Now, I don't want there to be any true spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't watched season two and plan to, go do that and come back, because one character's journey is about needing to feel important, and during that quest, she achieves a kind of fame. But what happens if you want to be liked and followed in our current social media kind of way? Maybe you even fantasize about it, and you never achieve it. You'll likely feel envy, so we're going to talk about how you know you're envious. I'll throw myself under the bus here, as sometimes I have to admit it's hard not to look at the numbers for self-work or sales of perfectly hidden depression or whatever number we're talking about, and not allow whether they're up or down to influence my mood. I hate it, really, but I'm aware of the power of those numbers. So when I check them, I laugh to myself and call it my self-esteem yardstick for today, hoping that my sarcasm will keep me from truly counting on it to help me feel good. Even writing that, I kind of shudder a bit. I'm hoping awareness will keep me in my wise mind, as the DBTers might say, and do my best to stay away from that kind of envy or comparison. But we can't talk about envy without also talking about internal versus external validation. I've had many patients through the years, some who were very well known in the community as well as outside of it, some who were working to get their esteemed needs met by gaining social media status or political clout, and others were simply workaholics. All of them struggled with what I call internal validation. They weren't able to feel or tell themselves that you're important as you are, devoid of immense popularity or high achievement. And of course, there's my passionate concern toward the perfectionists in the world, many of whom are achieving things that get noticed, but they live in fear that they'll somehow make a mistake and their world will come crumbling down. You might be one of those people. So we're going to talk about the difference between external and internal validation. But then the third thing we'll focus on is celebrity. Does being well-known have a downside? And we'll hear from Tim Ferriss, whose podcast has been downloaded, get this, 700 million times. (laughs) We'll hear what he has to say about the fame he's achieved, like it or not. 
In fact, I'm going to quote him right now. If you suddenly had 100,000 or 1 million or 10 million more followers, what might happen? I thought I knew, and I was naive. We'll hear a lot more from him later. The listener voicemail this week is from a man whose brother is depressed, but will do nothing about it. You can hear this listener's concern and sense of helplessness in his voicemail, and I'll do my best to offer some ideas. So today in this episode, sponsored by BetterHelp, we're talking about the quest to be known, to be recognized by many, how you can know that you become envious, the difference between internal and external validation, and how a balance of both is really great. And of course, what mega podcaster Tim Ferriss might say to us. Welcome to the 288th episode of Self Work. Several years ago, I was attending a blogging conference here in Northwest Arkansas. I was just talking to a friend of mine, and a woman turned around in the row in front of me. Are you Margaret Rutherford? I said, yes, not quite knowing what was coming next. I listened to your podcast, and I recognized your voice. Now, that was really wild. There have been a few little other things that have happened here in the community or along the way, but they're very few and far between. But they do make me smile. It's kind of nice. But believe me, I've gotten my fair share of horrible reviews on Google, but this time, this kind of attention was appreciated. So today, we're focusing on seeking validation from others and the need for balance in external and internal validation. After all, so much in our normal work is about needing to meet the expectations of others. In your job, you're seeking validation from your supervisor, if in school, from your professor or teacher. Getting validated or endorsed as a great plumber or an efficient CPA or a kind, smart anything really is a good thing. That's normal. When I cook a meal, I don't particularly want its consumers to pick at it and then ask me what's for dessert. Validation that is tasty feels good. That's external validation. But you can lust after validation so much that it begins to change who you are. You can begin to constantly compare yourself with others negatively. You can copy what others do that you deem successful rather than sticking with your own ideas. You can begin to resent other success, and that can lead to envy, where you believe that you are just as deserving as that person to have or be or possess what they have. So how do you know that your need for external validation is too high? And perhaps you've even moved into envy? These were some of the things that came to mind, behaviors that come to mind, things you do. Number one, you scroll through others' Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and compare their feedback to yours. Number two, you are almost constantly checking your own numbers or likes. Number three, you bring up your own work with others without being asked. Number four, you begin to alter your life so that it looks better on social media. Or if social media isn't involved, you spend time worrying that your life doesn't seem special enough. Number five, the bulk of your time is spent trying to meet or exceed the expectations of others. You've heard me talk about this in socially prescribed perfectionism, if you remember, and it can be highly destructive. Number six, you discount or deny your fear of disappointing others. You can even pretend that you don't care what other people think about you when really you intensely do. Number seven, you begin to hide your insecurity by drinking more or using drugs. I've had more and more of my patients who are using gummies legally, and that's fine in its own way, but not if it's about hiding your insecurity. And number eight, you've had very tough childhood experiences or traumas that you don't disclose or you've never worked through. 
And thus, wanting the life of someone else is a way of disconnecting from that trauma. But this also can move into very ugly envy. And an increase in social media use can fuel self-esteem problems and insecurity, which is the underpinning for envy. So what are some of the markers of envy itself? You aren't happy for others when they achieve success. Another person's success makes you feel unhappy. You'll feel the need to diminish someone else's success. You'll say something about them that's harsh or belittling. You judge others negatively. You're happy when others face setbacks. And you often can surround yourself with other envious people. So you get validation for being envious. So, this is not a pretty thing to recognize in yourself. In fact, it's very hard and it keeps you miserable. So, again, the first way it's formed is through your own insecurity, but it can also be modeled as normal, even appropriate behavior. If you had a parent who struggled with envy, then they might have told you others envied you or taught you to do the same, setting up in your mind that life was all about competition, who had more but deserved less. Envy is when you want what someone else has, and yet you will deride that person for having it. Let's say you'd like to be better known in your community or more popular, ask to more events, but then you'll turn around and describe the person who is more popular and does go to more events. You know, she's never at home. I bet her marriage is falling apart or her kids are a mess. So, you know I like to talk about what you can do about it. First, you have to recognize that envy is running your life. And again, if you've surrounded yourself with others who do the same, then that kind of awareness is very difficult. Yet what you can begin to realize, perhaps more easily, is how you're making yourself miserable. A way to do this is to become aware, keep tabs on exactly how much time every day you spend checking on what others are doing. And become aware of your own inner dialogue about it. How much do you focus on it? Then third, to move away from envy, you have to identify your own individual unique competence. What you like about yourself. This is better termed internal validation. And internal validation can be tough, especially when your job or your relationship or your family doesn't offer many compliments or well-dones. So being able to know what your competencies are, own what you do well, is important. And I fully realize sometimes has to be done in the context of problematic jobs, problematic relationships, and problematic families. And that's when sometimes going to a therapist can help. In fact, stop right now and take a minute to list two or three things that you like about yourself. If you can't, because you're struggling right now, then think what your best friend likes about you. Sometimes those best friends can really back you up when you need it. And if you truly can't validate anything internally in yourself, then it's time to learn. Look for books on self-esteem and truly increasing self-esteem. Or I have self-work episodes on self-esteem, and you know what? I will include those in the show notes. So you need to harness the power of your self-talk. In fact, that's what Ethan Cross was talking about last week, right? Harnessing the power of your self-dialogue to manage your own emotions. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it because he gives some really, really tangible, concrete techniques in how to do that. 
In the next segment, you're going to hear from both Lady Whistledown of Bridgerton and Tim Ferriss about how celebrity changes your life. But before we go on, let's hear from BetterHelp. I realize today that so many people are talking about that they can't seem to find a therapist during the pandemic, but BetterHelp did it for me in less than two days, so they can fit you with a therapist very quickly in most cases. Here's a message and an offer from BetterHelp. I'm proud to say that BetterHelp has been a sponsor of SelfWork for more than two years now. They're ranked often as number one when compared with other professional therapeutic online services and do their best to match you with a therapist that you'll feel gets you, is attuned to you, and with whom you can find the kind of help and healing you need. You can do video sessions, you can text, because BetterHelp wants to offer you the most accessible and private therapy they can. Their therapists are licensed professionals. In fact, I've received offers from BetterHelp to become one of their therapists, but self-work keeps me busy. So if you need services that are financially affordable and convenient, then trying BetterHelp may be the best choice you've ever made for yourself. And you get 10% off your first month of services if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self-work. You know, I'm a therapist because I got good therapy, because I learned the immense value of hearing another experienced and knowledgeable perspective on my own life from someone that cared and was invested in my getting better. So try BetterHelp and get one month at a 10% discount. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. Now let's get back to Lady Whistledown. On the show Bridgerton, the character whose identity first remained a mystery is the writer of a gossip sheet that is witty, but only really speaks truths. It's not malicious, it's just truthful. But it truly acts as the way for this character to fill her own need to be visible to others because she feels very invisible. People don't typically notice her, which is how she's able to eavesdrop so quickly and so easily. We find out her identity at the end of season one, but I read an interesting interview, which is in your show notes, with the actress that plays her, a woman named Nicola Coughlin, and Coughlin says, the character's name is Penelope, Penelope does it as an outlet. She goes, I'm going to prove you all wrong. I am smart and clever and funny. But this perception ends up altering Penelope's character in season two, and she quotes Penelope as she's talking to her friend. It would change you if everyone in London was obsessed with you. We began to see how it was changing her at the last of season two, but let's just say it costs her dearly. Again, trying not to be a spoiler. And if you haven't watched Bridgerton, it's really fascinating. But wouldn't it, indeed, if suddenly you were thrust into the limelight, how would it change you? I was fascinated by hearing from Tim Ferriss, who is again a mega podcaster, whose meteoric rise to fame happened in 2007 when he published his first book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Here's a quote from him in a blog post that I'll have for you in your show notes. He says, If I'm not famous by 30, I might as well put a bullet in my head. That's an actual sentence I spoke to one of my closest friends. At the time, I was 28. Fortunately, unlike during my darkest period in college, I wasn't serious about suicide. Nonetheless, the sentiment was real. I felt like I somehow needed fame. In retrospect, there was a lot of self-loathing from tough childhood experiences, and I desperately hoped that love from without, external validation, remember, would somehow make up for hate from within. 
So you could hear the intense need for external validation that we've been talking about because he had hatred from inside, which stemmed from his childhood. Again, that is sadly and tragically much more common than many of us recognize. But in this blog post, he goes on to talk about the many benefits of fame, and he says he's really not a celebrity like Brad Pitt or Viola Davis. <laughs> Things like friends he's made, the money that he can use to back charities that are important to him, places he's traveled. But he also says this, and I'm quoting again from the blog post. During my college years, one of my dorm mates' dads was a famous Hollywood producer. He once said to me, you want everyone to know your name and no one to know your face. Taking it a step further, we could quote Bill Murray. I always want to say to people who want to be rich and famous, try being rich first. See if that doesn't cover most of it. There's not much downside to being rich other than paying taxes and having your relatives ask you for money. But when you become famous, you end up with a 24-hour job. The only good thing about fame is that I've gotten out of a couple of speeding tickets. I've gotten into a restaurant when I didn't have a suit and tie on. Hmm, that's really about it. Now, I've heard a lot of people who hear things like this say, well, you can say that because you are actually famous. And what do I wonder about when I hear that statement? I wonder about envy. Truly, some of the wealthiest people I've had as clients are some of the most insecure. But perhaps that's another episode. I'd like to talk about the real aspects of celebrity that Tim Ferriss has felt besieged by. And he gives you specific examples of this. And if you're interested, it is a fascinating article to read. But let me read them to you. Because all of them have happened to him. Stalkers. Death threats. Friends and family being harassed or followed. Extortion attempts. Desperation messages. I've had some of those. Threats or fears of actual kidnapping. Identity theft or impersonation. Media attacks. I've had certain things on Facebook said to me that were pretty harsh. Not being able to trust that others are truly friends. Invasions of privacy. And he's not exaggerating. I can remember wanting to be famous, wanting celebrity. I wanted to be a famous singer. But when I think of the most mentally and emotionally healthy people I know, and I must say that I've met some famous people, but I can't say I really know any of them. The most healthy people I know None of them were famous. They're in my heart and remain there forever because of what they stood for, the way they loved others and me, what their passions created. As Lady Gaga has said, I don't think I could think of a single thing that's more isolating than being famous. Let's talk about envy one more time. To me, the opposite of envy, or something that feels eminently more healthy than envy, is healthy emulation. The actual first definition of that word does mean to equal or exceed someone. I didn't really know that until I looked it up. I use it like the second definition uses it, meaning to imitate. There are people I want to emulate or to imitate, meaning to me that there are things about them I admire. And I don't want to copycat them. I want to do my best to create in my own life what I admire about theirs. I don't want to take it from them or deride them for having it, I can say openly, I think X, X being the name of someone, I think X is great, and I don't want to be an exact copy of them, but I want to learn from them. 
If a client tells me that they don't have anyone in their life that they admire or who they look up to, my advice is to go look for someone in your church, in your neighborhood, in your community, online. It can be someone you know or someone you don't know, but who do you want to emulate? Again, it's what you can do about making sure that envy doesn't seep into your being, but rather you can follow in someone's footsteps. You can learn from them and create a life that's fulfilling for you. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. So here's this week's voicemail. Hello, Dr. Margaret. Yeah, this is the first time I listened to your podcast. I was wondering, um, my brother is uh, going through depression and currently the family is not able to support him the way they should. And I'm kind of feeling uh, helpless where I'm not able to help him. And he is also not going to a therapist or taking any medicine. Seems to me that he has chronic depression. He is internally suffering. I'm not able to figure out what we can do. Could you suggest, and maybe in uh, one of your podcasts, on how to handle such scenarios where you cannot directly talk to the person on that they need a therapy and uh, even the family, immediate family who is there with him is not able to understand how to help him out. But I know he's suffering internally and just going through a lot. Please suggest what we can do. Thank you. You can hear the worry and sense of helplessness in this listener's voice. I looked back and I did do a very early episode, very early, number 10 in fact, on loving someone who has depression, and I'll have that in the show notes. But I don't think I've actually done an episode on loving someone when they have mental and emotional problems that they refuse to see, they deny, discount, or certainly don't seem to have any idea of the impact that their illness is having on you, their friends, their family. It's actually a similar kind of helplessness that you can have when someone you love denies a medical or physical illness, a diabetic who doesn't check their insulin levels, someone with cancer who keeps smoking, or someone with likely diabetes or cancer who refuses testing at all. Whether it's stoicism, stupidity, or stubbornness, it's very hard to watch. But I was surprised I hadn't talked about what is a very common and often tragic problem when mental illness goes untreated. What are the people that love that person supposed to do? What if it leads to arrest or worsening addiction or staying in an abusive situation? So, I always like to answer people's questions, and this will be the topic of episode 289, and it's long overdue. I'll just say this. The anguish that I hear and see from parents, siblings, adult children, and even young children when mental or emotional illness isn't owned can be haunting. As the dreams or hopes or expectations that someone you love will lead a rewarding life slowly vanish. So please come back next week to hear an answer. I'm not sure it's the answer, but it's the best answer I can give at this point. So I'll see you next week.
Thank you all so much for being here, and thanks for the reviews for Perfectly Hidden Depression on Amazon. I'm getting them. I love them. Thank you. And for the ones on Apple Podcast here at Self Work. Here's one, and she doesn't leave her name, just a bunch of initials, K-D-N-Y-C-H-F-N. <laughs> I'm not sure who she is or who he is, but thank you. I love this podcast. Dr. Margaret explains things in easy-to-understand terms, and she gives suggestions on how to handle all kinds of issues. I listen to the podcast at night when my thoughts are racing all over the place. Listening to her soothing voice helps me to focus and to relax. I always learn something. Thank you so very much. I told y'all last time that these often bring tears to my eyes because it means so much to hear from you what you enjoy and to get suggestions about what you might like more of or less of in the future. So keep those reviews coming. Thanks. There are also lots of ways of getting in touch with me. You can subscribe at my website, drmargaretrutherford.com. And you'll get a weekly newsletter that includes both my weekly blog post and this podcast. It's an incredibly easy way to keep in touch with me. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com or just like our voicemailer did this week, you can leave me an actual voicemail at SpeakPipe. And that app is both in your show notes. If you just check it, just take a second or go to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and it's all over the place there. It's called SpeakPipe. You have 90 seconds to leave me a message. Make sure you speak where I can hear you. And if I can answer your question, I will do so right here on Self Work. It's such fun to hear your voices and imagine where you are and who you are. And sometimes you even tell me and that's even cooler. And of course, there's my Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. So thank you for being here. Please take very, very good care. I'm just hearing about some people who are coming down with COVID. So be careful out there, as they used to say, I think, on Hill Street Blues, I think. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.